You can go ahead and find your Bible, though, and open it to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 is going to be my preaching text for today. A message I've entitled, Grateful for the Grace of God. So this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I I really felt compelled to deviate a little bit from the the, the series I've been doing on the church and certainly talk about an appropriate message, a needful message, to remind us all that we're to be thankful people. Not just because Thanksgiving is this Thursday, but ongoingly to make it our habitual practice to be grateful to God. It's God's will for you, and it's God's will for me read an article this week in the Daily Health Post dealing with, listen to this, how gratitude rewires your brain to be happy. A study done at UCLA told about uh, how the, uh, being grateful activates the hypothalamus and how it has downstream effects on one's metabolism, stress, and various behaviors. The hypothalamus located at the back of the brain regulates central functions, such as body temperature, emotional responses, several other functions like appetite and sleep. But one of the neurochemicals associated with that part of the brain is activated uh, by gratitude is dopamine, which is the pleasure hormone. So this neurological study simply resolved and said this after the study, if you want to get happy, get grateful. But I'll tell you what, God's Word said if you want to get holy, Be grateful, because that is God's will for all of our lives. And indeed, listen, ungratefulness in your life and my life will be toxic. And so my goal today is not only to preach on gratitude, but indeed hope to rekindle, renew, and remind you of the necessity to have a grateful heart. Out of Colossians chapter 2, just a couple of verses. As you know, the backstory on this epistle written by the Apostle Paul Uh, from house arrest in Rome, in difficult and and desperate conditions. Still, six times in four short chapters, he calls these believers to be thankful. And he says, I'm expressing my thankfulness and gratitude for them, for the church, but also for all of us who have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. And then from our text today, he said, I'm grateful for God's redemption, how he's purchased that on a hill called Calvary, And we have a reason to be thankful for Christ Jesus, our Lord. So please stand in honor of reading God's Word. Just two verses today. So you guys stay with me and we'll we'll walk through this text of Scripture together and ask the Lord through the power and person of the Holy Spirit to speak to our lives. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with, say it with me, church, thanksgiving. Let's say it again, thanksgiving. Father in heaven, I pray that we would leave with a little more gratitude, an expression of our appreciation and praise for you than when we came. So, Lord, forgive us when we're indifferent. Forgive us when we don't have a consciousness ongoingly for the good gifts that you give to us. And I just pray for this church. I I pray that it would begin from this pulpit and moving forward that we would all be grateful people. Because not just because it will make us happier to be grateful. Because that's what you expect of us as born-again believers in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
three things today that I want you to see with me as we talk about this gratefulness for the grace of God that's been given to us. And it begins with what I'm calling a divine transformation. So the reason that Paul is uh, expressing this truth in the scriptures and overflowing with gratitude because it's really what Christ has done in his life personally. And so speaking to the church, he would declare in verse 5, since you now have a firm, firm faith in Christ, you better remember this. It originated, it was birthed as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And then in verse 13 in chapter 2, he says, You were once dead in your trespasses, but he made you alive, having forgiven all of your trespasses. And that's the undeniable origin of all of us who've ever given our heart to Christ and been saved. We receive Jesus Christ the Lord into our life. It's the only template. It's the only narrow gate that leads to life. It's the only way we can be redeemed. It's when you and I give our hearts to Christ Jesus our Lord. So understand, as he says here, my salvation and my ministry isn't because I achieved something, but simply what he says here, we received it. God did it all. It wasn't because I, were, I, was, I was worthy or you were worthy, not because we had great potential or great promise. Conversely, in brokenness and humility, we received Jesus Christ into our life because he's the only provision for sin. And when we give our heart to him, it should be transformed from a heart of indifference, a heart of stone, to a heart of gratefulness. Receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. I want to stop just real quickly there and kind of walk through the name that's been given here. How many believe every word in the Bible is important, don't we? Well, sure we do. Let's look at this just for a moment because here's the way he said it. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, we know what Christ means. It means that, he, that he's the anointed one, that he's come from God, that he is the promised Messiah. It was that confession that Peter made at Caesarea Philippi, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that statement. He is the Christ. And then he used the name Jesus. The name Jesus. Well, the name Jesus, we know what it means. It means Yahweh is salvation. Do you remember the angel that came to Matthew and in Matthew chapter 1, I'm excuse me, came to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1? He said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. And so he is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus meaning he is salvation. Jesus of Nazareth means that even though while he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, he was raised in Galilee in a little village called Nazareth. But that name of Jesus relates his mission. Just as he told Zacchaeus that day in, in, in Jericho, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. And then he conveys this throne name that we know so well. He is Lord. You know, when we declare Jesus Christ our Lord, we're declaring he has authority of our life. That we are under and we live in submission to him. We are surrendering to his authority and power. And our lives are going to be transformed because we're no longer walking as we once did. We're walking in newness of life. These are meaningful names. We receive the totality 
of who he is in his magnificence and mighty name, Christ Jesus our Lord. What's it say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things passed away and now all things become new. And that's the question of the day. Have you been transformed by the grace and the mercy of God? Does he live as Lord of your life? Jesus put out a warning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Can I suggest to you this transformation really has two mandates with it. One, that you're willing to repent of your sins. It's the Greek word metanoia. You know what it means? It means to be having a change of mind which issues in regret and is demonstrated in a change of conduct. What did Jesus say? Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. When Peter preached at Pentecost, repent and be baptized every one of you for the remission of sins. Nobody can be saved unless they're willing to turn from a life of sin and shame and bad and poor behavior and be transformed by the grace of God by repenting. And certainly the other side of the same coin is is personal faith. We don't just repent to continue on and live our life, except we continue on in faith. For by grace are we saved, how? Through faith. And that not of ourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man would boast. And so indeed, it's repentance and faith that brings a person into right relationship with God. I can't help but think about my own transformation. 24-year-old young man in hospital for extended period of time. God spoke to my heart about my need to get right with him. And how the things that I'd been doing for the last measurable years without any consideration of what he'd have for me to do as a husband, as a father, as an employee, whatever it might be, things needed to be different. And that's when I slipped out of my hospital bed and got on my knees on a tile floor in Valley View Hospital in Ada, Oklahoma, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. there, There was a regret in my heart, but more than just regret, there was a repentance turning from an old way of life to the hope that I found in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, he'll save you today. But you got to come that way. Only one template, only one way. And that's the repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me move quickly. Not only a divine transformation, but he talks secondly about what I'm calling our distinct testimony. In verse 6, we are commanded since we receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Now walk in him. In essence, we're to continue to believe, to progress in the truth of the gospel, that our life would be a testimony of God's grace. Look what it says in chapter 1, verse 10. Look at the text. Walk worthy now of the manner of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So we're to be rooted in Christ Jesus, and we're to be built up as we walk in him. It's a great word picture here that the difference Jesus can make in all of our lives if we're rooted in him, if we anchor our soul to him. It's a word picture of the roots of a tree that keeps it from, from being blown away by adverse winds what, when otherwise it would be demolished. But these roots run deep and it's because their roots are deep. Our roots should go deep as we're deeply rooted in him. And when we do that, we will endure So it is in our life. We've got to be deeply rooted in Christ. And when we are, can I suggest to you, with that comes stability and reliability as well. 
Jesus used a similar metaphor when he concluded the Sermon on the Mount. You remember what he said. He said, the one who hears my words and does them is a wise man. He's building his life on the rock. But those who hear my words and do not do them is a foolish man. And he's building his house on the sand. And both of them would face the same adversity and the same storm. But he said, the only one who will endure is the one who builds their house on the rock, rooted in him. We persevere in him. It brings stability to our life. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, man, is there anything or anyone that is more frightful than someone who's unstable? Where they're unstable in their life, whatever they're doing, so inconsistent and, and, and on a whim. Oftentimes, I, they're, they're flaky, can't be trusted, not of sound mind. But when we're living our lives in Jesus Christ, we're rooted in Him. It steadies our life. It brings stability, what otherwise would be an unstable life. He renews our minds. And we can do good and the acceptable and perfect will of God when we're rooted and built up in Him. And then he declares our distinct testimony should have two components as well. He says these Undeniable traits are under a our faithfulness. Our faithfulness. Stay with me. First John 2, 6 says, He who abides in him, remains in him, ought also himself to walk as Jesus walked. So how did Jesus walk? Well, we've got certainly uh, the Gospels that tell us how he walked. But can I distill it down to one specific thing? In the simplest, most easy to communicate way, he walked in complete faithfulness to the Father. And here in chapter 1, he says, This call to stay rooted and built up, bearing fruit in every good work, is emphasized by saying this in verse 23, As believers, we will be presented holy, blameless, above reproach in the sight of God. If, if we continue in faith, grounded and steadfast, and, 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 and moving towards the hope of the gospel, which you have heard. So while our hope totally is in the person work of Jesus Christ, he has an expectation for us as well. And it's this very simple thing. It's to be found faithful. Are you a faithful Christian? You see, the purpose and plan for every Christian is for us to live the life of Jesus Christ. You understand that? Are you living the life of the Lord Jesus? That's the purpose and plan for our life. What did Paul say? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then Paul, when he would mention the fruit of the Spirit, those who are living full of God in their life, they've got love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Not surprising. Because when we're full of God, we'll be found faithful. I know uh, many of you ladies were here last Saturday and Mary spoke to uh, about 150 ladies who came uh, to the ladies event here at the church. And uh, she spoke on this very topic of being found faithful. I entitled A Long Journey. 
in the same direction. And that's what I'm talking about today. What does God expect for us? He expects a long journey the same direction. How do we do it? Well, we're rooted and built up in Him. And He holds us tight that we might be found faithful. Our testimony is marked by faithfulness. But there's another thing that the text is talking about here. Not just faithfulness, but fruitfulness as well. In chapter 1, verse 6, it says, The truth of the gospel has come to you, and now it is bringing forth something. And he uses this metaphor of bringing forth fruit. In verse 10, when you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, you're going to be fruitful in every good work. So when we talk about the believer being fruitful, we're talking about some tangible results, some evidence that we indeed are rooted and built up and faithful in our walk with God. Jesus calls our faithfulness a result of abiding in Him. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth what? Much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 8 here, by this the Father is glorified, he says, that you bring forth much fruit. Hey, listen, we came to church to glorify God today. How can we do it? Well, we can do it by being faithful. And we can do it as well as we serve him and live our lives demonstrating that we belong to Him in bearing these kinds of fruit. I wonder, is that your testimony? Is it marked by faithfulness? Are you giving evidence that your life has indeed been transformed? You see, I'm just telling you today, what's true individually needs to be true collectively for the church. What are the the pursuits of the church in these critical days? Could I tell you it needs to be faithfulness? You see, people, we got to be faithful in prayer. We got to stay tethered to the Word of God. We got to continue to love each other. We got to be forgiving towards one another. Let's be quick to bless one another. Let's do the work of ministry together. Let's stay unified in heart, soul, mind, and spirit so that God can bless us. I'm telling you, it takes faithfulness. But we need to be bearing fruit as well. Well, how can we do it? I'll tell you how we can do it. We can live the life of Christ. We can bear one another's burdens. We can sow gospel seeds. We can share our faith. We can love our neighbors. But the critical piece of both of these, we've got to remain. We've got to abide in Jesus Christ. And remember that we have a purpose, and that's to live out his life on a daily basis. He dwells in our hearts through faith. And that indeed makes up our testimony. I'm going to share my wife's testimony real quick today. She gave her heart to Christ when she was 17 years old. She went to a lay renewal weekend. Some of you will remember those back in the late 60s and and into the 70s. But uh, she went there, and she had had grown up going to church, and uh, actually went to this lay renewal weekend, not really knowing what she was getting into, but at least she showed up because God drew her there. I'm convinced of that. But what was going on, she was meeting with a gal who was one of the speakers at, at, at the Labor Renewal Weekend. And so she told Mary, she said, hey, why don't you share a testimony? Mary's going, what's she talking about? What do you mean by testimony? I, ha- I don't have a testimony. I've got nothing. Oh, I've been to church. I've wanted to do right sometimes in my heart. But my heart doesn't belong to Jesus. And so she shared with Mary the simple truths of the gospel. 
and Mary gave her heart to Christ. Transformed by the grace of God. You know what her testimony is? Oh, yeah, I gave my heart to Christ some 15 or 20 years ago now. Huh? But more than that, I'm abiding in him. I'm seeking to be faithful. I'm trying to be fruitful in every good work that would give demonstration that I've truly been transformed. Oh, let's live what we say we believe. Let's have a distinct testimony that sets us apart from the world at large. I gotta quit. One last thing. A divine transformation, a distinct testimony. But the third truth in this two verse text is this what I'm calling a daily thanksgiving, because that's what it says here. As I mentioned six times in four short chapters here in Colossians, Paul brings up the topic of thanksgiving, and in chapter two, he declares, We're to be abounding. We said it together while ago. How? With thanksgiving. You know what he's saying there? Our lives to be overflowing with this. This gratitude thing, it ought to be an overabundance for us who've who've tasted and touched the grace of our living Lord. So thanksgiving is not relative to us being faithful on a holiday to be grateful. And I'm, I'm telling you, it is each and every day of our lives we're to be grateful people. Over a hundred times in the scriptures we're told to be thankful, to express our gratitude. Ephesians 5, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And then he said, and being grateful always for all things to God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, you want to measure your spirituality today? Let me tell you what the barometer is. It's your thankfulness. It's your gratitude. And if we want to get back in the will of God, can I tell you, it can begin with a right heart of gratitude. Because you see, this is not just a desired virtue. I would tell you, it is really the mother of all other virtues that can be produced in our life. It takes a gratefulness. You remember what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5? It says, rejoice every more, pray without ceasing. And then Paul says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hey, could we agree on this? There's a lot of ways to get out of the will of God in our life. But I'm telling you, this is an easy access to get back in the will of God with an attitude. An attitude of gratitude, be grateful, be expressive, be, be, be quick to thank God, not just in a quick motion towards the heaven as we see oftentimes with athletes, but a gratefulness in our heart that demonstrates Jesus Christ has transformed our life. You know, as I thought about it, three things come to mind that oftentimes um, move us to ungratefulness that dulls our sensitivity to be as grateful as we need to be, that blinds us for our, our reason to, to be grateful as we should. The first thing is pride. Prideful people are rarely thankful people. They're full of hubris, condescending and boastful, and they see everyone else as inferior. Prideful people are often narcissistic. And it's not surprising the Bible has so many warnings against pride. God says, I resist the prideful. I'll give grace to the humble. 
Proverbs 13, by pride comes nothing, listen to this, but strife. Pride is a disease that makes everyone sick except the person who has it. Isn't that true? We're told countless times that we're to humble ourselves because humility fosters gratitude, and gratitude gets us to the spiritual place that we all need to be. Let's crucify our pride today. But there's another thing I want to touch on to do today, and that is this, and it's presumption. Presumption. You see, we're not grateful oftentimes because we presume on whatever that we might have, we're deserving of it. And we forget the fact that every good and perfect gift that we have ever gotten has been given to us into the great, by the gracious hand of God. Isn't that what James said? He says every good and perfect gift comes from God. And in Him there's no shadow of turning. He's the same. I wonder how long has it been since you've been expressive of your gratitude. Maybe just in the obvious things. How long has it been since you breathed a prayer of thanksgiving to God that you could see, that your eyes work, or that your ears hear, that your legs walk, or that your lungs breathe? You see, we've been given so much in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word presume comes from the Latin. It means to take for granted. That's what presumption does. It takes for granted the mercy and the grace of God. And if we're not careful and if we're presumption, uh, presumptuous, we will be presumptuous in everything from the grace that's been given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord to all the way what James said, presuming about what we're going to do tomorrow as if we hold our life in our own hands. The Bible warns against pride and presumption. One other thing, sometimes we're ungrateful because of our own prosperity. Can I tell you, there's a direct correlation between having an abundance of things and losing a grateful heart. Could we agree today, most of our complaints are what I'm calling first world problems, aren't they? You know what a first world problem is? It's when we have substantial amount of everything we need and pretty much what we want. But we complain about it because it's simply not enough. You know what a first world problem is? It's a guy that carries an iPhone 7, but he's complaining because he can't get the new iPhone 11. That's a first world problem. But I'm telling you, God addresses this matter of prosperity. And you know what he says in Ecclesiastes 5? He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. And he who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. So seeking to give an illustration of prosperity, this comes to mind. And that is the Samaritan's Purse. The small little gifts that many of us give Christmas in and Christmas out. Now, I know in my context, in your context here, most of us have a lot at Christmas. Truth of the matter is, it's not that we give our children's gift, gifts or a gift. We give them a multitude of gifts. And truth of the matter is, you've probably experienced it, and I have as well. The shameful thing is they're stacked up with more gifts to the point that they've unwrapped so many gifts 
And by the time they get down to what you gave, they're indifferent to things. It's what happens. Why does it happen? Because we got so much stuff. And it brings a sense of presumption and, and relative to our prosperity. But you contrast that with giving one of those gifts to some little kid in a third world country. Maybe in Uganda. Maybe in Calcutta. Maybe in Sudan. I don't know. He gets a little plastic shoebox with an inexpensive toy, a book, some kind of little game. And you watch his response. It would be like he just won the lottery. Greatest thing he's ever seen. He's got a box. And he's overflowing with gratefulness. And I'm just telling you today, God has prospered us. And we've been blessed. Let's not let that affect the gratitude and gratefulness and thankfulness of our life. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Today, would you bow your heads in gratitude as we breathe a prayer of thanksgiving for the grace that's been given to us in Christ our Lord, that he has saved us, that he has transformed us from darkness to light, and he's ushered us into the kingdom of his dear son. Let's ask him to pour out his grace once again on our life, that our distinct testimony would demonstrate our faithfulness and we're bearing fruit in every good work. And let's crucify the things that can cut off and destroy our gratefulness. Let's humble ourselves. Let's quit being presumptuous. And let's thank God for what we have. And let's allow that to compel us to be people of generosity. You may be here today and this simple truth of the gospel that I preached is good news to you. You need to be on a different track. You need to get up and out of your sin. You need some hope in your life. You need to be transformed. And I'm just telling you, it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about a New Year's resolve. It's about humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, inviting Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sin. Oh, he'll set you on a new course. He'll forgive you. He will bear your sins in the depths of the sea. And as he promises, remember them no more. Today, come and begin again in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've been saved, but you have just had a sour attitude and gratefulness has, has left your life you can find stuff wrong with everything instead of being grateful for what you've been given by the goodness of God who still loves you in spite of yourself and continues to pour out his grace upon you maybe you need to come publicly and say you know I want to go God's way again this text has convicted me and 
I want to begin afresh. I'm speaking to you today. We've got our counselors here at the front. I'll be here as well. Pray with you and talk with you about what that means. Lord, help us to be grateful people. Help us to get in the center of your will, being expressive of what you've done for us. Help us to bear much fruit. Help us to walk as you walked, to love as you love, to forgive as you forgive. And Lord, we need you ever in our life. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, come afresh to dwell in our hearts. Fill us with your spirit today that we could please you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. David's going to lead us in this wonderful invitation hymn. We've got people here at the front if you'd like to come. Make a decision for God today. We won't be here long. We ask you to come. Come quickly. If God's spoken to your heart, here's your opportunity to respond. While we sing, God calls. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. sing this together. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy grace. Great. 